0: Hello, and welcome to Spy Hards Declassified, where we bring you the latest spy intel straight from our mysterious spy network. But remember, this information is strictly for your ears only. I'm Agent Scott. And I'm Cam the Provocateur. Before we tackle the exciting film we have lined up this week, I think we should explain what Spy Hards Declassified is.
1: Yeah, I was curious why you were calling me. <laughs> this is very inconvenient, Scott. I'm very busy right now. I get this abuse all
0: the time, guys. I'm uh, I'm, I'm sorry for it. Um, okay, so for me, Spy Hards Declassified is basically, it's not going to be an every week show. It's basically when we have the opportunity, like we do this week, um, we're going to bring you the sort of fresh take on a film, something we have just watched. We won't talk about the knock list. It won't be particularly in-depth, behind-the-scenes information. But I think it's more of a, a fresh,
1: off-the-cuff take on what we thought about the film. Or Off the Cuff Link, if we're to go James Bond style. Yeah, this is an opportunity for us to give those first takes on newer movies, you know, kind of that opening weekend kind of idea. We're looking forward in the future to doing movies like a No Time to Die or A Black Widow. But we have something a little bit different, I guess, to launch this series, right, Scott?
0: That's right. We were talking to the team over at Amazon Prime. And again, we want to thank them uh, for this opportunity. And they have basically give us an early screener of the film we're tackling this week, which is The Courier from uh, 2020. It came out in the cinemas, now being released on uh, paid VOD on the day of release of this episode, which would be Friday, the 16th of April, 2021. And also they have set up an interview with the director of the film, which is fantastic. We, you know, We love talking to directors uh dominic cook which we will be speaking to very shortly on the episode and then we'll come back and we'll uh, talk about the film some more
1: yeah that's i think gonna be a fun way to tackle this very interesting movie absolutely so i think before we fly over to the
0: interview cam let's quickly just say what the film is and then you can tell us a bit more about the director as well well the courier basically is a cold war spy story about greville Wynne, who was a salesman in england in the 60s during the time of the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis that basically gets roped into a spy story in Russia um, with some
1: uh, quite serious consequences. Ooh, tell me more, Scott, or maybe don't. Let's talk to the director about that. And (laughs) we're going to talk, yes, to Dominic Cook. So Dominic Cook, um, fairly new to the film world, but has a very rich theater background. He was a director and writer in theater. Um, he worked for the Royal Shakespearean Company, the Royal Court. Um, again, this is one of the titans of the theater industry, and he hasn't made a lot of films. He's done a couple adaptations of the plays, um, but I guess his, his first real like you know film was On Jessel Beach, starring Saoirse Ronan, who was in Hannah, a movie we tackled early on in this podcast. Um, so I'm looking forward to talking to Dominic Cook about this movie and the fascinating story that inspired it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I wasn't too uh, familiar with him. I'm not a big theater guy myself. But speaking with Myla half, who actually watched the film with me. Um, she pointed out that I had seen The Hollow Crown, which he made for BBC TV. And I had actually seen it on Chesil Beach as well. And he actually recently did an adaptation of Ma Rainey's Black Bottom a couple of years ago, which has now been done into a Netflix film, of course. Right, right. Um, So I think what we'll do is we'll throw over to the interview now and then we'll come back and speak about the film. Cam, roll the clip. And we are joined by the director of The Courier, Dominic Cook. Dominic, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Um, Now, I realise our time is is short, so we are going to fire some questions at you as fast as we can. Um, But uh, I'll start us off. Uh, so we basically we just reviewed the film on the episode. And the first thing I really wanted to know is what brought you to this film? What got you interested in telling the story? Well, I was sent the script with a big pile
2: of scripts to my agents in the US. I just sort of finished a film and they were like, right, we've got to get you next film. We were like, okay. And I read a bunch of scripts and I just loved this script. I just immediately loved it. The story was extraordinary. I didn't even know it was a true story. There's nothing on the script said this is a true story. Of course, as it it sort of developed, I thought this has to be a true story. And then at the end of it, I found out that it was, sort of got really into the research. But I think for me in the end, what really sort of won me over was the fact that it had sort of a war than most spy stories. There are so many spy movies that are sort of, uh, that have the coldness of the calculation uh, that is the center of the action of the film, but you don't really get much cost of it, the personal cost. And the sort of um, relationships, the sort of personal relationships at the heart of it, and because this story involved a regular person rather than a trained oper- operative, um, it, it it allowed the space for that, and that that really sort of moved me and and brought me to it.
1: Hmm. Okay. So I'm I'm interested. There, you know, we tackle spy movies every week, and there's such an established tone to spy movies i'm curious if you were looking at any you know spy films for influence or if there's anything you kind of had in mind when you were tackling this project well we did look at a few and the, the one that really stood out was the spy who came in from the
2: cult uh because we were looking mostly actually i mean i've obviously i've seen a lot of other spy movies enjoyed them but we were looking mostly at sort of period uh movies from the same kind of time and what i loved about that was the sort of completely unglamorous world (laughs) that it portrayed sort of gritty and really rather unpleasant and I thought oh that feels a bit more like something a bit more real and also it had a sort of sustained slow steady intensity to it that I thought was brilliant I had seen it years ago actually but as I came back to it um, and actually, otherwise, the, the influences on the film were more uh, from sort of Hitchcock and other types of movies from the period uh, um, than than other spy movies.
1: Any, yeah. partic- any particular Hitchcock movies that jumped out?
2: Well, the one that I the one that I looked at really I mean I'm a Hitchcock nut anyway, so mm-hmm. I know the films quite well. Um, but the one that I looked at a lot was North by Northwest, which partly because it was uh, around the same time, it was made around the same time as the. the events of the the movie but also because he's so good at sort of getting what it's like to be in a situation that is beyond your control (laughs) uh you know and that sort of strange paranoia i mean it's a different it is a different sort of register to this movie but i think that's so amazing the way that film you know you are constantly trying to catch up with what the hell is going or rather he's constantly trying to catch up cary grant and we it really influenced the way i thought about shooting the movie because um, uh, because what he does i mean the, the example i would give is and the one i looked at the sequence i looked at really closely is that incredible sequence in the uh, in the cornfields with the crop sprayer and and how he constructs that which is very typical of him he sort of uses three camera angles one is a sort of wide shot which isolates the person in the setting so you sort of get their vulnerability then you go to the sort of reaction on quite quite tight on Cary Grant, and then you get to the clean POV, which we used a lot, clean point of view, which basically is seeing the world through the eyes of the protagonist. And the combination of those three types of shot we used a lot in this movie. Um, and, and Hitchcock uses it. It's in the shower scene. It's in all the... that combination is in all the key moments in Hitchcock. And it's a magic combination because it gives you all the information you need, really. Uh, but clean pov is so valuable in the mix because it really does sort of put you into the boots of the character um mm. uh, and, and if you look at the way we did uh, him arriving at the airport for example mm. uh, in moscow we used that sequence that, that 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 combination yeah very
0: nice so my next question kind of follows on from the first one which was your process of getting into the film and you mentioned you were sort of handed the script and you didn't know it was a real story at the time. But once you got into that and the the process of actually putting it on the screen, how did you deal with it being a real story and translating that to the screen?
2: Well you've got you know it's such a complex question this because um you've got you've got your loyalty to the real people, And I think you've sort of got to honor the spirit at the very least of who they are and what happened. Uh, but at the same time, you've got to make something that's compressed, hugely compressed. I and mean, if you're doing a TV series, you've got much more space to sort of get into the nuances and the sort of sort of B, B subplots and all of that. You, can't, you have far less time, so you've got to compress everything right down. And you've got to sort of make something exciting. So, you, you know, you're t- not tall, but one's always trying to bring those two elements together. And I always feel that if you're doing something that's drawn from real life, you really do need to do your research. Uh, and you need to act in a sort of totally pragmatic response in terms of what you find you've got to only really use the stuff that's going to enhance the film and if you if you if you the other the other key thing of course is that is that you need a guiding principle by which you can edit out information that's not useful so you've got to decide what sort of film you're going to make it happens also when people will do novels same thing happens because if you do a novel a novel is like how long does it take to read a novel it's like days but you're trying to get it novel down to two hours, you have to decide which bit of the novel you're gonna gonna talk about. So for us, we sort of started with the friendship at the center of the story, being Mm -hmm. the sort of axis on which the whole thing tilts. And that that being the heart of the movie. So that meant there were lots of amazing parts of the story that we just, just didn't get into. And then once I started doing the reading, it was so interesting. I mean, it was fascinating and there were elements of research that I'd found uh, that sort of ended up in the movie and shaped our understanding of things and other bits left behind behind. And of course, as you'll know, the really hard thing about researching a subject like that, this is that it is by its very S, <laughs> it's by its necessity secret. Um, and there there is a lot of sort of fake news uh, and and uh, and and actually the propaganda around this particular story was huge. Mm. Especially in the Soviet Union. I mean, they still in Russia don't know what actually happened. They what what is accepted there is the Soviet version of events, which was totally constructed to defame Penkovsky. It's it's totally fake. They had they had a show trial, and there was a documentary made in the maybe 70s about it in the Soviet era. Uh, and of course, the, the authorities were so embarrassed because he was so high up. There was so much information given to the West. They had to do stuff. To sort of, uh, to sort of help them get away with it. And um, and they defamed him. And that version of events exists now, so much so that when we went over to cast the movie, we were given quite a hard time by a lot of people, about what a terrible trace he was, how he wasn't a war hero at all. He you know, was decorated 13 times. He'd been in an office. These things which were put into a TV documentary have become fact. And so that sort of dist- willful distortion Mm. of the story and the very interesting thing that happened with with rebel win which was that he was sort of told to shut up by mi6 because otherwise they would take away his pension because he was going on television and writing books where he was telling a mixture of truths and and some self-aggrandizing fictions uh, meant that the story was really inaccessible as a brilliant book uh, the Spy Who Saved the World, which I came to quite late in my research, which is based on the CIA papers, which I think were released in the nineties. So that was the first book I read that was totally rooted in concrete information, um, incredibly helpful because you know you've got your script, but you need to sort of understand the bigger picture, and that was that was I found that really useful.
1: Now, I'm curious, the setting for this movie and the locations were beautiful. Like, I thought the mood that came through those locations was really, really effective. And I'm just curious about the challenges you faced recreating, you know, Cold War-era Moscow in this film.
2: Yeah, that was quite hard. I mean, uh, I had actually been to Soviet Russia in the 80s on a school trip, which was unbelievably helpful because it was, even then, so different to anything I had seen (laughs) before and pretty much since that it sort of helped me and actually that my production designer got so bored of me talking about my school trip okay we were running jokes there's every time in on location out there I'd be going on about you know the key lady in the hotel or that there were so many things that were so sort of weird and unique that we tried to sort of get into the uh, into the movie uh, but yeah we went to quite a few places we went to Kiev and we went to um, Belarus to Minsk. We nearly shot there actually. We were going to do two days there because it's it's a sort of monument to Stalinism. Uh, there's an extraordinary, you know, it's, it's still got a KGB there. It's still mm-hmm. in that in that era and um, a very strange place. And um, you know, they've still got the sort of 30-foot Lenin statues and all that. So we were going to do a lot of exteriors there, but it turned out that we couldn't get sort of it wasn't reliable because the, they couldn't promise us access to the buildings we needed so we shot it all in prague some of it is uh some of it is sort of green screen uh augmented but prague's got a lot of brilliant architecture and um we yeah we sort of and we did a huge amount of research i mean you know the props are all authentic you know we, we tried to get everything absolutely bang on uh, uh to sort of get the feel of of that world uh, as accurate as we possibly could um but i have to say my the fact that i had been and i've been to russia a lot since for various reasons for work uh, was very helpful because it's it still is i think uh, such a different culture mm-hmm. uh such a different atmosphere in russia to 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 western europe um that you sort of you sort of need to do work really right
0: um Quick question about just Benedict Cumberbatch. I mean, he's one of the, for me, the best things about the film. His performance is fantastic, but what was it like directing him and directing him through that process? Because the physical change he goes through later on in the film is very jarring. And that, that, that flip that film takes at that point, it just makes you just like, oh, so how was that just directing Benedict and, and coaching him for it? Well, he's, I've worked
2: with him a few times before, and he's very, um... of self-correcting he's got a very good storytelling sense i actually think he'd be a very good director i said that to him because he's he's sort of he knows what is required story-wise for each scene and he's also very physical so he sort of creates his characters physically there's a lot of i mean he looked a lot at the real gravel win he looked a lot at there was a brilliant clue in gravel win actually about who he really was because um he was from a very working class background from wales and he had a very aspirational slightly pushy slightly grandiose mother who wanted the best for herself and for him and he uh he ended up marrying someone who's sort of upper middle class and ended up living in chelsea mm. but his life was thwarted which i think is one of the reasons why he connected so strongly with pankowski he his life was thwarted by very severe dyslexia which at the time of course wasn't really understood or recognized kids who had dyslexia, he was at school, you know, during the sort of First World War, and uh, he was, you know, put put to the back of the class and, and treated like he was stupid, uh, when he clearly was not. And we noticed in the photographs of Wynne, in every single photograph at any point in his life, he wore the same tie. And um, we did our homework. I don't know how we found this out. This was not me that found it out. It was someone in the wardrobe team found out that the tie that he wore was the Nottingham University tie. Right. Um, and he had not actually attended Nottingham University. However, he had attended some lectures there as an outsider <laughs> uh, <laughs> in engineering, because that was his special. because he couldn't have got in because of his dyslexia. And I just thought that was, we both fastened on that as a clue. Mm-hmm. I mean, actually, we did it. know, He wears that tie in every scene. But what, what I thought was so interesting was what kind of a person is it that needs to defend themselves that strongly you know from or sort of or sort of put their status out there when they clearly hadn't really got that status mm. and and i think you know he did have a sense of not being recognized in a way that i think Pankowski had exactly the same sense for very different reasons uh, and i think that that sort of uh grievance was part of the dynamic that, that sort of worked for them as a, as a pairing
1: I had a question about Jesse Buckley, who's definitely emerging as a major talent. And so many times when you see these real-life stories translated to the screen, there's the wife-at-home character, which feels so underdeveloped. And I'm just really curious about the efforts you took because this character really did have a really interesting and dynamic role throughout the movie, especially that built as the movie kept going. I'm really curious about the development of that character when you're putting this movie together.
2: Oh, thank you, well, it was—it It is really hard, that. What you're
0: describing—it's
2: mm-hmm. a—it's a perennial question of the moment, really. It comes up a lot at the moment when you're thinking about like how do you tell the truth about the past, where it was white guys who was, who, who were operating in the world, but honour the stories properly of the people who don't fit that category. And uh, uh, so it's really tricky, you know, because we, you know, we we weren't focusing on her as the centre of the story. Um, I mean, I have to say that we were so lucky with Jesse because Jesse of all the people in the film, is the person most different to the person that she's playing. She's such a sort of grounded, open, free sort of spirit. She's not, there's nothing about her that's buttoned up or hidden or indirect. She's just very sort of, here I am. And she's also way, way, way younger than the character and yet convey someone who's much older than she actually is. And I think the joy of that was that she absolutely reached outside her own sort of time period into that period, uh, mm-hmm. totally forgot of got that sort of upper middle class uptight sense that emotion is wrong and that the expression of feeling mm-hmm. is wrong and that unfortunately still exists in the <laughs> UK now. Uh, perhaps, I, I think you could say, I think there was a sea change when Princess Diana died, sort of suddenly all right to express being in public, but it is part of our inheritance, it's part of the empire, it's part of the public school system. Uh, and she got that, but the great thing about Jessie is she's so full of feeling herself that the contrast, I think, between those two qualities is what makes the performance really interesting. We tried as much as we could to give her agency and we wrote a bunch of scenes that we ended up dropping where she was sort of doing stuff more in the world. I mean, within her own sort of fairly narrow world of what a woman you know, who wasn't working at that time would have been like, but it, they sort of felt extraneous so we didn't shoot them in the end. Uh, but we tried as much as possible to get her sort of challenging him and pushing him, and demanding things. I think, which I think is perfectly true. She, I don't think, there's any sense that she was some sort of uh, passive uh, person. Mm. In history, well, you know, in the
0: yeah. I'm, I'm aware of the uh, of the time. So I have a couple of quick fire questions at the end, if you don't mind. Sure. <laughs> um, yeah, of course. So, okay. Favorite, oh, yeah. this is this is non-courier related this is this is spy film so what is your favorite spy film of all time you know what i'm not going to say a film i'm
2: going to say the tv series of tinker taylor oh okay oh. oh from we the like 70s 80s or, 80s. or 80s
0: yeah 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 Yeah. i'm
2: sorry it's breaking the rules
0: <laughs> no we like that we like that it's usually casino I mean, it's
2: probably now looks really really clunky and wobbly sets but i think the sort of acting and the scripting of that was brilliant in terms of tension mm-hmm. stakes uh and that sort of sort of sort of like fast like pulse with a really cool surface
0: yeah yeah
2: that, that i mean listen i love the bomb movies i love all that stuff but uh, i would say that yeah <laughs>
0: Well, you've led me on to the next question, which is of course James Bond. Who is your James Bond?
2: Oh wow. I thought the next one will be James Norton, but I'm not so sure now. Oh, you we're talking about I the next, next one of the the favorite. The favorite is Sean Connery. There's no there's not even worth having the conversation as far <laughs> I'm concerned. There just there is no one better. And and you know, actually I watched um I watched recently uh what was it? Dr. No. He's such a he's such an interesting character because he's got that sort of he's got that sort of like brick like masculinity, but there really is a sensuality about him that's almost feminine. And I don't mean effeminate. I mean there's a sort of softness and there's a sensuality that is so brilliant and a wit. I think he's yeah, no one's got close as far as I'm concerned
0: i think uh cam might argue with you slightly but i'm on board I, i'm with you <laughs> oh, No, so who's yours
2: cam i just need to know quickly I, I
1: always say connery is the best but roger moore is kind of my favorite that's the one that brought me into the franchise
2: well i mean i get that because i grew up with roger moore and was, the humor is there but it did become parodic in the end didn't it like the
1: latter roger moore movies are like oh yeah spoofs. they're sort of all Austin Powers. <laughs> yeah. Oh, totally, totally. The line is very thin between Austin Powers and Roger Moore films. <laughs> right,
2: yeah. Um, actually, that's what I should have answered. My favourite spy <laughs> movie.
0: Um, well, I mean, yeah, the other question I have is is what's coming up for you next, Dominic? What are you working on at the moment?
2: It's really hard to say. I've got four theater shows that are sort of like it's like being in the sort of Heathrow Airport trying to do air traffic control. I have no idea when they're going to land. But yeah. um, film-wise, there's um, a, uh, a a film of Stephen Sondheim's musical, Follies, which is a mm-hmm. show that I did on stage and sort of developing the script of that, which is about as far away from this as you could possibly get, but a brilliant right. sort of piece to be working on. And then there's a, a, a film that I'm sort of trying to produce for the company I've set up called Fiction House. And the film is um, a sort of, it's sort of drawn from those really wonderful early Woody, Woody Allen films sort of intelligent romantic comedy. If you think about something like Annie Hall, it's mm-hmm. that sort of world of slightly erotic urban intelligent people um, it, and using London as a romantic city setting. Uh, and it's a lovely script, it's very tender and awkward and funny, it's very funny. So. They're very different projects, and I don't know which one will land first, but I'm uh, hoping something will happen next year. I don't know. It's so, I've given up making plans. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) it's just impossible. The more you invest in the plan, the more disappointed you're going to be. But uh, I'm hopeful. I'm quietly hopeful.
0: That's all we can be these days is hopeful.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's no, all we yeah,
0: left. yeah. Well, I, I mean, on behalf of, of Cam and myself, I want to thank you just for the film. Firstly, it's, it's just a nice to see a new film right now, something different and fresh and new. And it was a joy to watch it. And it's been a joy yeah. to talk to you about it.
2: Thanks so much, guys. I really enjoyed that.
0: Thank you. So there we go. That was our chat with director Dominic Cook. Now, Cam, this is our first time doing a fresh, hot take on a film, if you will. So what did you think of The Courier?
1: I really enjoyed this movie. I thought it was a really solid spy thriller. I went into it without having any idea really what it even was. And, you know, I searched online and it apparently had an earlier title, of Iron Bark mm. that has been, you know, switched um, at least for North American release, maybe international release even, but uh, that was the working title. Um, and so I really didn't know what to expect. And Benedict Cumberbatch is a guy who we really like on the podcast. He's, um, I think, friend to the espionage genre. He signed on to do a Thirty Nine Steps remake fairly recently, and so I kind of sat down, not knowing what to expect. I was really sucked into this movie and this uh, true life story of Greville Wynn, who was just like this unassuming businessman who got roped into an espionage game that had huge stakes. In this case, it's the you know this, the the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis. So. I was, I guess, following along throughout this movie, having no idea where it was going, which is a lot of fun. Like, I'm glad that I was ignorant to history, that I didn't bother to read this <laughs> history book story, um, because this movie actually really was gripping. And what I think was the most effective for me was, there's a lot of movies that are recreations of historical events. Sometimes they can be a little dry. What I thought was really effective about this one was that it was about the friendship between Greville Wynn and... And his contact, this um, Russian who is uh, possibly going to defect, named Oleg Penkovsky. And how that relationship really forms the heart of this movie. And I mean, we've talked about spy films in the past and will in the future that are quite chilly. And when you get to these kind of labyrinthine Cold War plots, sometimes the characters feel kind of aloof and a little tough to connect with. And I found that this movie really overcame that with that relationship. What about you? I was somewhat hesitant going into this
0: film just because I tend to have trouble with these more espionage thrillers, these John le Carre's, that, that sort of world. all like you know, the Daytons as well with the Harry Palmers, or maybe not Billion Dollar Brain, they got a bit crazy towards the end. But uh, <laughs> this, yeah, the funeral in Berlin, the gritty reality of of being a spy. But what I actually got I was really pulled into and from the get go, I have to say, I mean, we'll get to performances slightly later on, but Benedict Cumberbatch is the star of this film. He pulled me in immediately, this unassuming guy. He's obviously got his life sorted out. He's a salesman and, you know, the US and the the UK government lean on this guy and I don't think it's very fair and he is pulled into this spy plot and he has to deal with some awful consequences later on in the film.
1: Yeah, there's a great moment where they're actually recruiting him. And it's just played out on his face as he's like, kind of just like stunned, like, you want me to do what? And it's played very tense. And I like that there was always the sense of a guy who is not really up for this job, not qualified whatsoever. He's not being given the whole picture because it's not really even safe to do that. And it doesn't ever try to pivot into suddenly he's a super capable agent. This really is a everyman thrown into a very tense political situation.
0: Yeah, he's like a very unassuming guy. He clearly has his life sorted out. He's lived with his wife and child. Um, he's obviously got a bit of a past they talk about in the film. But he eventually develops this bond, which you uh, mentioned earlier, this, this brotherly connection with the Oleg Penkovsky character. Um, And ultimately, they're both trying to save the world in their own little way. And that's one of the messages of this film is that, you know, two men can make a difference or two people, I should say.
1: Yeah, it has a humanity to it that I really appreciated. Because, again, going back to what I was saying in my intro there, where I just said a lot of time these Cold War ones can be pretty chilly. This movie really goes out of its way to make these characters feel fleshed out and sympathetic in some way. You know, um, Oleg, who's played by Mareb Nanitchi. Um, that is a character that, you know, a lot of films, older films tackling this sort of story play the Russian characters as stoic to the point of being unreadable. And often that came, comes across as cold in movies. And I felt they found the the real humanity in this character and that you could understand how these two guys thrust into this very unfortunate situation would Bond, despite the fact they are very different. Like the differences feel like they're broached within the film in a way that I completely bought. It doesn't feel like a Hollywood relationship.
0: But I would agree with that. But at the same time, they highlight the similarities between these people that live in completely different countries on different sides of a, 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 you know, high stakes game of Russian roulette, if you pardon the Russian pun. You know, you see Oleg's family, his wife and kid, and, you know, the stakes for him as well. And, i think that's what sort of drew me into it so to answer your original question what i thought about the film i really enjoyed it and i think it was the relationship between the two and i will highlight again benedict's performance that kept me going through this hour and fifty minutes of what could have been in different hands and i'll tip my hat to the director as well dominic
1: in what could have been a very chilly and unentertaining story yeah because sometimes when you're dealing with this sort of material it can get bogged down in the details and i thought um you know, Cook and his writer Tom O'Connor were really good at managing to create a story out of something that could get very complex. I mean, the whole scenario in the situation was like, um, Oleg managed to like send over like 5,000 documents to the Brits and to the Americans regarding the situation of the nuclear powers that Russia was, um, potentially wielding in the Cold War, and again that could lead to a very complex movie when you're talking about 5000 documents how many trips is this back and forth but i thought the movie did a really good job at just streamlining the story to make it engrossing and you know building up the characters and the relationships because we've seen so many of these movies where the characters feel often like you know chess pieces in a larger game and that can work but in a story like this where it is based on factual events i think you want to feel more of that human touch what i found to be quite interesting as well if you look
0: at the films we've covered so far we haven't really done anything in this i i called it a espionage thriller maybe that's a good title for it i don't know but we've never really gone down this avenue just yet we've had things that have touched on it lightly we've had some uh, hitchcock films that have kind of brushed on this but nothing that's gone the full john de Carre.
1: Yeah. um, I mean, you could say some of the Harry Palmer's, maybe Funeral in Berlin sort of wanders into this sort of territory, but no, we haven't done some of the serious stuff. We have a couple coming up on our list. Um, It's going to be interesting to dive into those types of films in comparison to some of the things we've done in the past. But you're right, like this did feel somewhat different than the movies we've tackled thus far.
0: And I think that's probably helped with my enjoyment but i was again surprised because as i said i'm more of a popcorn action film kind of guy so i i would always tend to go for my james bonds more than my harry palmers sorry cam <laughs> <laughs> um, i'm not offended well um so i was as i said i was worried going into it but they created a story that i cared about and characters i cared about and In a setting which is one of the things i was quite impressed with is they created this world that felt real i know it's based on a real story but i think again it's another tip of the hat to the director because the set pieces the you know everything they did to make it feel like the 60s it didn't ever feel out of place the
1: performances felt tight and i felt drawn into this world that they created and also the location work in Prague is really beautiful. Like this movie has some fantastic locations. It has the atmosphere of your classic spy story where you get to see Benedict Cumberbatch, you know, wandering into these kind of remote looking areas of, of Moscow and how terrifying the situations often look. It's a uh, pretty great uh, location work here. This movie has genuine atmosphere. It it really does, and that definitely helped it. And something
0: that I was just checking on my notes about, um, and it actually really carries all the way through. Is there's this sort of duality between the two main characters? You know, you've got one living in this opulent, you know, Western world, and then you've got this communist world, and the stark contrast between the two. And you think about like the fluffy life that Benedict Cumberbatch's character is living, and then you have a uh, Penkovsky who in the second scene you see him, you see someone get put to death right in front of him.
1: Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. And Also I think that's effective in establishing why he's in so much danger and why Bennett Cumberbatch could be in a lot of danger by taking on this mission, but also um, sets you up for knowing where this character's fate may lie at the end of the movie.
0: Yeah. And I think we should point out as well in terms of the, the real life story and, and what we saw on the screen here. So this is based, as I said, on a real-life story between... And these are the real people. And in the end, you actually see an interview with the real um, Greville Wynn, which is quite interesting. Um, and they did potentially prevent the, you know, the Cuban Missile Crisis from escalating any further. They potentially saved millions of lives.
1: Yeah, yeah. Now, I, I'm curious. This was something for me that I maybe found a little lacking. Um, I found the like atmosphere of this movie very much sucked me in and I loved the character journey, but did you feel the real tension of the um, the um, Cuban Missile Crisis in this movie? Not particularly. I, I know where you're coming from on
0: that. There was like news clips they played in the background as the tension was upping throughout the film. I didn't really feel any major overhanging tension. There was definitely like a sense of I would always call it, call it Orwellian with that sort of 1984, the eyes are in the walls watching you because there's all these scenes of Benedict to checking for bugs in his room and then like having to make conversation whilst music is playing in the background so they can't be picked up. That's all quite interesting and definitely makes everything feel a bit like the walls are coming in on you. But in terms of the actual Cold War Cuban Missile Crisis tension. I didn't feel that as much, no.
1: Yeah, because the movie does I think a fantastic job establishing early on that you know anyone can be the eyes of, you know, Russia. Like anyone could be reporting these guys and so there's a lot of work done with just passerby's watching Benedict Cumberbatch, you know, stroll through a scene and it builds that tension. Like I felt that danger throughout the movie, so it's not a criticism necessarily of the movie feeling flat in terms of being, you know, dramatically tense, because you get that in smaller, more subtler ways. But in terms of that escalating danger of the Cuban Missile Crisis, I felt like that didn't quite connect as much. And, you know, this isn't a high budget movie, they weren't going to be out there restaging sections of the Cuban Missile Crisis. So you're right, they are working with Um, you know, clips of, you know, JFK talking on the news and what have you and giving his addresses. Um, But that was one element where I said, like, ooh, like if we could just maybe pull up that tension a little bit more, I think uh, I would be even more sucked in.
0: I think there's a there's a crisis point where they try and get Penkovsky out of Russia, where he can defect to the West. And that's the point where everything sort of flips. And there's a definite shift in tone in the film because all the main characters that are in Russia at the time get arrested. They're basically all thrown into prison, except for Rachel Brosnahan's character, who has diplomatic immunity. And, you know, our main character is now in prison, being stripped naked, shaved down, mistreated, misfed, and ends up losing a ton of weight, which I do want to get to in a minute, in terms of Benedict's performance with that. And I thought that had a lot more tension to it just the unknown of being in that prison.
1: Yeah. I mean, I didn't know this story going in. And at this point I was really thrown for a loop. I really thought this was going to end with the two guys living happily ever after in the U S or Britain or whatever, you know, like it, I didn't have any idea where this story was going to go. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's where a lot of tension comes. Like the tension comes from the characters throughout this movie. And that's why it's so effective. And yeah, everything to deal with him, you know, with, um, with Win being sent to prison, in Russia was um, it was harsh and the movie didn't pull its punches. No, it did not.
0: Um, Speaking of things that didn't necessarily quite work for me. I, the other main character we haven't really spoken about is Rachel Brosnahan's character of Emily Donovan, who plays the sort of CIA liaison between America and the UK. And she's there throughout most of the film, just sort of giving tips and directing uh, wins character through his espionage journey. And I didn't feel like she delivered particularly on her performance. I felt like she wasn't really there.
1: Okay. That's interesting. Um, I think it's a challenge when you're playing the composite character because um, this this character was several people in real life. Right. And sometimes it doesn't translate great when you create a new character you know, out of whole cloth for the movie because... You start to go like, this character feels like a movie character in comparison to the other figures who feel like they're living a human story. And um, that was kind of how I felt with her. Um, I thought she was very effective in the scenes where she's fighting for them, you know, where she really is wanting to accomplish this mission. I bought her conviction in those scenes, but it was more to me, the character's function often felt a little too, a little too neat.
0: Yeah, that may have actually been the the thing I bumped on. It it, it felt clean. Like she wasn't really involved in the world. She was just like popping up and looking, you know, Mm -hmm. you think about like Benedict Cumberbatch's character later on, looking completely broken down. She looked completely clean and immaculate. And I've actually been watching her recently in uh, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel on Amazon. And I've seen her range. She can do everything. Rachel Brosnahan's terrific. It's not an indictment on her. I just guess it might have been something to do with the character on the page, maybe.
1: What I appreciated, though, was with this character, who could have easily just been an exposition machine, they gave her moments of actual connection with the characters where you said, "Okay, this is at least working on a one-to-one basis. Like, I understand how she relates to Benedict Cumberbatch's character. And, you know, Benedict Cumberbatch's character's uh, wife is played by Jesse Buckley, who was in um, the Netflix movie. I'm thinking of ending things um, this past year. I don't know. Time has merged together during COVID. So I don't even know if it was 2020 or 2021. I think it was 2020. But, um, you know, often you have the wife at home and that's the character, the wife at home. But I felt like they really gave this character quite a bit to do at a certain point, And you have scenes with her and um, the uh, Rachel Brosnahan character where it felt like they were giving these two something to do just by playing off of each other in a scene. So while I, I agree, like, the, um, you know, the composite character is a little awkward, um, it felt like they were trying. They were trying to do something, whereas a lot of movies would have just kind of wedged it and been like, I don't know, deal with it.
0: I, I can definitely understand that. And there's a scene in that pops into my head where uh, Rachel Brosnahan, character of Emily, is consoling Jesse Buckley's character, Sheila, because Benedict Cumberbatch's uh, character's in prison by this point, and she's telling her, like, don't give any information away to the press, but without actually saying, oh, he's actually a spy. Like, she's kind of leading her in the right direction to protect her and Benedict Cumberbatch's character and playing the game. And she actually sends out the uh, British uh, male sort of spy master out of the room because she knows that he can't handle that sort of conversation. So she's clearly in charge and knows what she's doing, and I appreciate that performance there.
1: Yeah, yeah, like, it doesn't feel like a thinly written character just feels like one that, again, it feels a little too good to be true. It's one of those characters who's always kind of in the right place at the right time saying the right things. And you go, well, this doesn't, I don't know. You see Bennett Cumberbatch's character really feel like, a person, someone who's having to adapt in the moment. And also the, you know, Penkovsky character, he's far more practiced in this world than Cumberbatch, but Penkovsky feels like he's having to improvise and, you know, having to recover in awkward situations. Whereas, um, you know, the, uh, the Rachel uh, Brosnahan character, you don't get that as much, but that's, you know, it, it, it's something that kind of stuck out to me, but it also really didn't impact my overall take on the movie.
0: I think you're just sort of waiting for the next scene with, the two leads yeah when she's on screen and she's giving you sort of a setup for the next thing to happen and you're like okay can we see benedict again please Mm -hmm. right which i say often but that's that's beside the point
1: i mean you know um she also has the unfortunate role you know for any actors your job is to move the plot along and that is largely what has to happen because benedict cumberbatch by virtue of being a spy who's not in on the bigger picture he's not going to be the one pushing forward on his story he needs someone to keep putting him back, you know, in these dangerous situations.
0: Yeah, I think that also moves us on to, I just want to touch on a couple of the main characters and their performances, and then maybe we'll just get to wrapping everything up. Um, Mm. Benedict Cumberbatch. As you mentioned earlier, we're both massive fans of his work,
1: but this is a tour de force for him. I did not expect that, yeah. Um, Because, you know, you think, "Ah, you know, I'm sure he just kind of shot this between... Uh, You know, Avengers Endgame in the next Doctor Strange movie. Um, You know, I'm sure this was just kind of a quick job for him. And you could easily think that through like three quarters of this movie. And then you get to this prison sequence and Benedict Cumberbatch really goes through a physical transformation in this movie that really knocked me over. I was genuinely shocked at how, uh, well, I mean, he looks pretty emaciated by the time this movie's over.
0: Yeah, that's what really jarred me because it feels like he's having a bit of fun with the character in the beginning. He's he's playing spy and then the reality starts to set in and then he's arrested. But then that whole thing where he's you know, stripped naked and they shave his hair, shave his signature mustache off and just remove his identity away. That whole scene just reminded me of a strange segue, but like uh, the second episode of the Chain of Command 2 part of Star Trek the Next Generation where you see Patrick Stewart's character of Jean Luc Picard, stripped down naked, removed of his identity, and 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 the, the a villain in that episode just trying to break his resolve, and the the Russians in this film are trying to break Win's resolve and get him to admit he was a spy, and it's heart wrenching at times.
1: Well, you see that this is a guy who's vulnerable throughout this entire story, right from moment one that when they recruit him, he's someone who's highly vulnerable because he's not trained in any way, shape, or form to be doing this job and you think okay well that's going to be the tension of a guy who's vulnerable in any you know in any situation that he's going to be taking part in in this mission and then you get here and you realize that whatever vulnerability was there before has far been exceeded now because you are seeing him literally as you said stripped bare um he's wasting away we're seeing brutality you know heaped upon him and being tortured i mean i really uh, was quite blown away at how committed uh, benedict cumberbatch was to this performance I mean it really did blow me away and I mean he was actually the exec producer on this movie as well so he was obviously someone who had some sort of stake in getting this movie made and he must have viewed this as a real chance to deliver that sort of you know go for broke performance
0: yeah his I think production company was t- part of the creation of this film uh, I think one of the other exec producers is, is part of that company as well but um yeah that whole I, and I did a little bit of research before. He actually did lose weight for this, this part. He lost a couple of stone in weight. So it's not one of those like Chris Evans digitally made smaller performances. Although I do think there's a little bit of that digital effect later on. probably. But he did lose a lot of weight for it. And it's, it's visually striking. It reminds
1: me of Christian Bale in The Machinist. Mm, yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's very wrenching. Like, I didn't expect this movie to be this wrenching when I started. You know, the first hour or something would not have led me to expect that. And when you see, you know, uh, Pankovsky meet up with him in that prison, it is a brutal sequence. Like, that moment is both the emotional high point of the movie and also just the most, like, gut-churning moment. Yeah, because you see both of your
0: heroes basically broken. And the only little bit of resolve that Benedict's character has left is he's found out that the Cuban Missile Crisis has been averted base, basically thanks to their efforts. Yeah. And he gets to tell Penkovsky, who doesn't know this, that his work was at least you know validated and, and saved lives. He may not have saved his own life, which we find out he's soon executed afterwards, but he has saved millions potentially. Potentially the fate of the world based on his what he did. And, I, and that gives him some solace which is uh, you know quite quite
1: moving i I did not expect that from this film i thought Nanichi was really fantastic in this movie i'd never seen him i don't think in anything and if i did it was nothing of you know where he like leaped off the screen to me but he in many ways drives this movie it's his story that um you know benedict cumberbatch's character is getting drawn into and i thought he was really effective and he is that final scene opposite cumberbatch and like, your heart breaks for this guy. And throughout the the movie, like, the movie does a really fantastic job taking, you know, a Russian character and making him not just sympathetic, but someone who really does break your heart over the course of the movie.
0: Yeah, I, I know I spent a lot of time talking about Benedict's performance, but you're right. His performance is, is just as terrific because he's playing almost like a mentor in some ways, but also this guy that knows he's bringing this newbie into harm's way and feeling, it must be weird, uh, being a guy that sees through all of the nonsense of communism at the time and, and the reality of uh, the impending threat of nuclear fallout and being just thinking, I need to defect from my own motherland to try and stop this. That's, that's a lot of weight to carry on your shoulders. And I think his performance really shows that he understands that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's a really strong performance. And I look forward to seeing him in more films. Um, I need to check out maybe some of his other notable roles.
0: I was looking through. He's done a lot of TV work, including uh, in Berlin Station, which is a, a spy TV show
1: as well. So oh, okay. okay. Spy
0: connection for you there. Yeah. The only other performance I would highlight is Jesse Buckley, who you mentioned earlier, who plays Benedict Cumberbatch's wife, Sheila, in the film. And she has another tool order to deal with, which is being that sort of wife at home character. But, you know, she goes for her own journey throughout because she thinks that Benedict's character is cheating on her with all of his travels to Russia. Uh, obviously, it turns out that he's actually just trying to save the world. Silly him. But uh, and she actually re- realizes that and has to go and see her husband being broken down in prison by the end and... Again uh, that that scene maybe not the same as the scene that comes immediately afterwards where the two main characters see each other again, but that's a pretty heartbreaking scene too and 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 well handled by uh, uh, Jesse Buckley
1: it is and when I initially saw her in this movie pop up, you kind of go like like boy, Jesse Buckley is like a really really talented actress I, I wonder why she has like why she took this role like it feels kind of small, right considering some of the other amazing work I've seen her do. And then you get to that point, past the you know around the halfway point or so, and you go, "Oh, that's why she signed on." Like the movie actually knows that she's a bit of their secret weapon, and uh, I think uses her very well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think we'll just sort of wrap up
0: our final thoughts on the film. Yeah, uh, I'll go first. Um, as I say, going into it, I was a bit dubious. I don't tend to resonate very well with these stark. Um, gritty dramas about the real spies of the world um you've heard me balk about harry palmer in the past but this one I, I think the performances really lifted it for me i was engaged with the film and heartbroken by the end and i just think i tip my hat to the direction and to the performance of the actors
1: yeah i think this is a really entertaining movie i think people will enjoy um i would imagine a lot of people not necessarily be drawn to it because it kind of wears kind of that look of the cold war spy film, which could look a little slow to people, but I think they will be sucked into it and engrossed by it. Um, It is a really strong character piece. And I think that people should check it out just for that alone. And they may be surprised about some of the, you know, almost too strange for real life facts that actually were the case.
0: Absolutely. Cam, if you're a fan of espionage thrillers or tense dramas, I think this is one to check out. Yeah, for sure. So it sounds like it's two thumbs up from us now. You may be wondering where the knock list is. As we said earlier, the Declassified episodes will not feature the knock list, but hopefully we'll be revisiting this film down the road and, and really tuck into it some more. So thank you for joining us on Declassified episode one. Next week, we have The Macintosh Man, another another spy movie featuring a prison scene or two. So if you like those, stick around. And don't forget to follow us discreetly on social media at SpyHards. That's S-P-Y-H-A-R-D-S on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And, of course, we want to thank Amazon Prime for the opportunity to check out the film today. But until next week, listeners, good luck among the shadows.